Welcome back to the podcast on Binding the Bible. The following is a sermon that I preached in our church this past Sunday while working through the Gospel of Matthew. As many of you know who listen to this podcast, I'm an Anglican priest, and part of the Anglican tradition is for us to read through and preach through what is called a lectionary. And those are some set readings from the Old Testament, the Psalms, the New Testament, and then the gospel readings that work our way through the Bible over a period of about three years. And so the passages that I preach from week to week tend to already be set for me. And I just approach those passages, look at what they they say, and then do my best to apply them to our people's lives and to our cultural situation. Well, this past week was a really big shocker for me um, because the passage that I was faced with is one that's strange to a lot of people. It's the passage where Jesus talks about not not coming to bring peace, but rather a sword. And through studying that passage, while I didn't intend to speak about the cultural situation that's going on all around us, I have been repeatedly surprised and stunned by how accurately Jesus' words to his disciples actually does apply to many of the things going on around us. And so after preaching this sermon and and seeing what I think Jesus is getting at with what appears to be a really strange statement, I think sheds a lot of insight and may give us a lot of help, particularly in the white Christian church, to be able to think about things like racism and to be able to think about all of the upheaval that's going on around us today. And so I am an Anglican priest and I do preach to an all-white Christian Protestant church. And so understand that I'm coming from a white perspective, but I do think that this is a perspective based upon what Jesus says that is very, very important for us to understand. And sadly, the things that I share in this sermon, I believe, are oftentimes overlooked. And so I just um, offer to you the sermon, Not Peace, but a sword, and I hope that you find it encouraging. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is the gospel of the Lord. Several years ago, I began experiencing difficulty swallowing certain foods. And convinced that I was having acid reflux, but not convinced that taking a pill was the solution, Jessica and I began researching natural ways of dealing with the problem. She researched foods that were easy to digest, and we adjusted our meal planning accordingly. But even changing our meals offered me little relief. Sometimes I would be fine. At other times, eating the exact same foods caused me problems, and we couldn't figure out why. Over time, my difficulty swallowing eventually led to difficulty breathing, even when eating foods that shouldn't have caused me any trouble at all. 
and we were both at a loss. Nothing seemed related to anything else, and yet something was definitely wrong. And so finally, after one particularly bad incident, I scheduled an endoscopy, and the results showed that I had what is known as eosinophilic esophagitis, which is just a fancy-sounding name for an allergic inflammation of the esophagus. The doctor explained that most likely I was eating some type of food that I was allergic to, unbeknownst to me, and it was causing the walls of my esophagus to swell up. The next time I ate anything, regardless of what that was, that food would get stuck in my now constricted esophagus and wouldn't go down. And so through a series of questions about eating habits, the doctor suggested I might be allergic to fructose, high fructose corn syrup to be exact. And the moment those words left his mouth, everything became clear. You see, I ate foods with high fructose corn syrup in them all the time. Not during meals, of course, but all throughout the rest of the day. Sodas, cookies, snacks, more sodas. So here's what was happening. I would eat or drink things with high fructose corn syrup in them with no trouble at all. And then when I would sit down to eat a meal several hours later, I couldn't swallow the food. Jessica and I naturally assumed the difficulty was in the foods I was eating while experiencing the difficulty, when in reality, it was a different food altogether. I was doing something that to me seemed completely unrelated to my current problem, and yet it was the sole cause of my problem. It took a closer look from an expert to diagnose the real issue. And now as long as I avoid high fructose corn syrup, I no longer have trouble swallowing my food when I eat. Now today, our culture is experiencing difficulties of its own. Racial tensions are running high. And many people assume that the problem lies where we are experiencing the difficulty. But believe it or not, there's something else going on. A reality that although it seems completely unrelated to the current problem, may very well be the sole cause of it. But in order to see what that is, we need an expert to help us take a closer look. We need Jesus to help us diagnose the real issue, and our passage for this morning provides that diagnosis. And if you and I are open to hearing what he says, it might help us recognize the solution. Jesus launches into a discussion that honestly just sounds odd to us. He says that he has not come to bring peace, but rather a sword. And then he takes that sword and he breaks up families with it, creating enemies where there are relationships of love and loyalty. A person's enemies, Jesus says, will be those of his own household. Now, why is Jesus addressing one's own household in relation to enemies. Aren't there plenty of other enemies out there that Jesus could speak about instead? Perhaps other religions or of pagan nations or perhaps the Romans, you know, those who oppose God's people religiously or spiritually or politically. Surely these are the real enemies. These kinds of things still create enemies even today. So then why doesn't Jesus address them Why does he instead say that he's come to make enemies 
out of our family members? That's a great question. Let's think about families for just a moment. Families comprise some of the closest relationship bonds we know of. And as a result, family relationships can be some of the most beautiful relationships that exist. Love runs deep in families, as does loyalty and devotion. Kids love their parents, and parents love their kids. And many parents know that there's nothing they wouldn't do for their kids. There's a bond here of love, of loyalty, of devotion, all the kinds of attributes we would assume Jesus would be in favor of. And why wouldn't we assume that? He certainly wants us to love, right? Wouldn't Jesus see this kind of love then and be thankful that it exists? Even bless such relationships with his peace? Why then does he say he's come to bring a sword? and then direct that sword to the one set of relationships where more love exists than in any other? That's another great question. And it's one that Jesus is prepared to address. He, of all people, knows a thing or two about love and we need to listen to him. You see, while we try to separate enemies and our families, Jesus connects them. And he does so because he knows that it is this kind of unquestioned loyalty, devotion, and love to one group over against others that creates enemies in the first place. We've all seen this happen, haven't we? Two boys are playing happily on the playground until one is teased because of where his father works and a fight immediately breaks out. Why? Because you protect your own. To make fun of my father is to make fun of me. And so if you set yourself against my dad, I'll set myself against you. Do you see what is happening? One's loyalty and love to his father, while a naturally good thing, sets in motion an unstoppable stream of enemy-producing scenarios. Any person or group now who speaks a word against my father becomes my enemy. And this becomes my reality because I love my father. We've got to protect our own. We've got to care for our own. How many times have you heard that? Now, please understand me. That is a perfectly natural thing to say a perfectly natural thing to believe and a perfectly natural thing to act on. But that's just the problem. It's natural. Jesus has not come to set up a natural kingdom. When offered, he rejected the proposal. Instead, Jesus has come to set up a kingdom where all the families of the earth will be blessed as the Lord promised Abram in Genesis 12. Jesus has come to set up this one new family, one that is not tribal or racial or gender specific or cultural. He has come for every tribe, people, and nation. And the only way to set up a kingdom like that is to first unhinge people from their preferred tribe, people, family, and nation. 
all of which we need to understand form a central part of who people are and how they see themselves in this world. And so in order to do this, Jesus turns his attention to the one place where all forms of tribalism, love, loyalty, and devotion are the strongest. He turns his attention to families. You see, it's our families where we get our sense of life. And so Jesus says in Matthew 10, 39, whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, while this is hard for us to hear, we need to understand that in order for Jesus to bring real peace, he first has to bring a sword. He has to bring a sword to all of the places where we believe we already have peace. Now, I want you to listen closely to what I'm about to say because it directly applies to the upheaval we see all around us today. Many people want to label the problem in our society as excessive unnatural hate on the part of a few individuals toward those who are unlike them. In reality, however, according to Jesus, the problem is excessive natural love on the part of all of us toward those who are like us. That is what Jesus is addressing here. Just like my difficulty swallowing, it's natural to assume that what brought the issue to the surface is the cause of the trouble when in reality, the cause was a pattern of living thought to be completely unrelated to the issue. The prophets dealt with something similar in the Old Testament. Jeremiah was a prophet sent by God to preach to the people and to the leaders of the Israelite nation about their waywardness, their idolatry, and their injustice. And he continually threatened the people as God's spokesman to them that if they would not repent of their idolatry and their injustice, that exile was certainly coming. And it was going to be a long exile out of the land to cleanse that generation for the Lord to do his work in and through them. But along the way, a number of prophets began to rise up who were not receiving their word from the Lord, who wanted to soften the problems that Jeremiah was addressing and soften the consequences that Jeremiah was predicting were coming on the people. And so they began to say, sure, we've got a few things out of order. Sure, there are some parts of our culture that aren't exactly what they ought to be, but God understands the truth of the matter. We're probably going to be sent into exile, but it's only going to be for a couple of years. Certainly nothing like the 70 years that Jeremiah is predicting. And Jeremiah tells us in chapter six, verse 14 of his book, they have healed the wound of my people lightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. It is the desire on the part of some to yell out peace, peace, without a recognition of the depth that the sword needs to bring to all of our natural loves. This is where we are right now as a culture. And what we need more than anything is to allow Jesus to bring his sword to all of our excessive natural loves. You see, family love is a beautiful thing, but it has a dark side. And here it is. 
When you are loyal and devoted primarily to your family, your tribe, your race, and your religious group, you elevate them above other families, other tribes, other relate, other races, and other religious groups by giving them more of your time, attention, and care. And then very gradually, you buy into the unspoken but very firm rule, protect your own. Look out for your own. Don't ever speak a word against your family. Don't ever point out hypocrisy or inconsistency within your own group. The enemy is those people from a different tribe, another family, a different race, another religious group. And it is to that enemy that you may speak against or point out hypocrisy and inconsistency, but never your own. But in our passage from Matthew 10, who are the people Jesus brings his sword to? He brings it to his followers and to all of our loyalties, devotions, and loves. And the reason he does this is because he knows that in order for the kingdom of God to come in all of its glory, citizens of that kingdom must let go of every conceivable loyalty they have that they believe brings them life. And if you and I wish to be part of that kingdom, we must allow Jesus's sword to separate us from everything that is not rooted in him, including things like family, political identifications, and nationalistic concerns. And he says that when we do that, when we lose our life for his sake, we will find it. He will give us the peace we seek but he has to bring the sword to us first. Now, I realize that for many people in this world, family is sacred. I get that. But the gospel tells us that family is sacred to God as well. It's just that our definition of family is far too small for the kingdom he's come to set up. His solution separate us from all of life's natural loyalties so that he can reattach us to his loyalties. And then we will be free to love as he does. And his people, his church, need to lead the way in continually being open to letting him bring this sword. And so let me repeat myself. Many today want to label society's problem as excessive unnatural hate on the part of a few individuals toward those who are unlike them. In reality, however, Jesus wants us to understand that the problem is excessive natural love on the part of all of of us toward those who are like us. Jesus's diagnosis must be our diagnosis as a church, as followers of Jesus, and as citizens of a kingdom that is not of this world. In fact, this is at the heart of all discussions of racism. Think about it again from a family perspective. Every parent wants the best for their children. Most parents then will scan society's horizons to find every possible opportunity for their children to thrive. Because we love our children... If and when we find situations that disadvantage them, we will work hard to do something about that, to change things for them. 
And because we love our children, we can easily spot the parts of our society that can benefit them. And we help them get connected with those parts. But, and here's the important point, when we are looking at the parts of society that benefit those we love, our eyes are not drawn to the parts of our society that don't benefit those that other people love. We don't see those things because we aren't looking there. This is why we need to listen to our black brothers and sisters because they see what we don't. They offer us a valuable perspective that we do not have and we need to listen to them. For this very reason, I sat down with Bishop Jones several days ago along with 20 other white Christian leaders in Washington so that he could share with us his experiences as a black Christian man in Beaufort County over the years. And why do I need that perspective? Because I'm not black and I tend not to see what I'm not looking for. And the perspective he shared painted a very different picture from the one I see. And the picture was not a particularly good one. And this is the issue with systemic racism. For far too long, we've accepted a false narrative that the problem is excessive unnatural hate on the part of a few individuals toward those who are unlike them. And since most of us don't see ourselves in that particular narrative, we don't think there's anything for us to do about the problem if we even acknowledge that there is a problem in the first place. But Jesus doesn't accept that narrative. Instead, he points out that the problem is excessive natural love on the part of all of us toward those who are like us. And right here, this very point is where all racism and injustice and bigotry and tribalism and nationalism comes from. In fact, it's where all enemy making comes from. Who are enemies? What does that even mean? I think for most people, they would imagine that enemies are those who are unlike them in some way, whatever those ways might be. Those who don't think like us, act like us, look like us, talk like us, believe like us, or live like us. Their values, beliefs, and way of life are different from ours, and they may very well in our minds oppose the kinds of things that we are about, and so they set themselves up in our minds as our enemies. And so as a result, we tend to see them primarily as people who are not part of us. They are in some sense other than we are. And we tend to operate from another false narrative, one that says the one who is not for us is against us. And we would all be helped immensely by Jesus's counter narrative given to his disciples when he said about their perceived enemies, the one who is not against us is for us. Do you hear the difference? The first perspective goes looking for enemies, looking for differences. And those who hold this perspective seem to gain a sense of satisfaction when they can point out their enemies to Jesus. But Jesus doesn't play that game. In fact, he calls his disciples to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. 
You see, Jesus's life and the life he's called us to is a life free of enemies. Now, to be sure, others might consider us their enemy, but we aren't to have any enemies. Our pattern again is Jesus. And who were Jesus's enemies? They were those who believed he was too inclusive, that he didn't protect his own, the morally pure Jewish people, but instead welcomed Samaritans, Romans, tax collectors, and sinners. And as a result, Jesus was accused of being unfaithful to God and soft towards sin. So when Jesus says a person's enemies will be those of his own household, understand that he's not talking about our potential attitude toward our family members. He's talking about our family members' potential attitude toward us. You see, followers of Jesus have no enemies because we have allowed Jesus's sword to separate us from all of life's natural loyalties. And what this means is that at any point when you find yourself getting defensive or you find yourself viewing another person or group or ideology or religion as your enemy, it is probably because something that you believe and are holding on to, you are believing is a little too closely wrapped up in your identity. That is the kind of place Jesus wants to bring his sword. And he says that when we allow him to do that, in return, he's promised to fill us with his supernatural love for all people, all families, all nations, and all races. This is the hope of the gospel. This is the hope of the kingdom. This is the hope of the world. And it all starts with a sword. Now, this is nothing new. As Anglicans, we open every one of our services with what we call the collect for purity. Let me read it for you here. Almighty God, to you all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Christ our Lord. Amen. Now, you may not know this, but this prayer comes from Hebrews 4.13, which simply says that no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. And so you and I enter every worship gathering fully aware that we stand naked and exposed to the one we are coming to worship. And we expect that when we gather to worship him, he will have something to say to us something that very well may make us aware of our nakedness. I think a passage like the one we just looked at is no exception. In fact, the verse that immediately precedes Hebrews 4.13 sounds strikingly similar to Jesus's sword language from our passage in Matthew 10. Hebrews 4.12 says this, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. This is why we've gathered for worship. To allow the sword of God's word, Jesus himself, to pierce to the depths of who we are 
and how we see ourselves in this world. And he does so by piercing and discerning even the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. But we also gather fully aware that the one who wields this sword does not do it to condemn us. He does it to set us free. This is not the sword of condemnation. It is the sword of conviction. It is a sword that calls us to take up our cross and follow the one who took up his for us and for our salvation. This is the call of the church. And our world needs us to be this church right now more than ever. Our world needs to see a people naked and exposed before the one to whom we must give account. They need to see modeled for them what true vulnerability looks like. They need to see a people who are not afraid to have their deepest held loyalties, loves, and devotions severed so that we might be free to love them as God loves them. And they need to see a people committed to the truth of what Jesus shed his blood to create, who join the heavenly chorus in singing to the lamb, worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God. And they shall reign on the earth. The world needs us to be this church. Are you with me? Amen.